for for some reason I thought you were saying singing this live. Is that is, is that is that weird of me to think? Maybe. Yeah. Um but yeah, uh welcome to episode twenty one of the Water Cooler Podcast. My name is Marley Silverbrand and I'm Cameron uh, Avery. And yep, yeah, it's Cameron. That's me. <laughs> uh Cameron, you're just finishing up dinner right now. You said you're having pizza. Kind of middle of eating pizza, yeah. Yeah. Getting in uh, a good, good uh, state of mind, you know. How's that? How's that pizza? It's pretty damn good. It's pretty damn good. I tell you what. What kind? Of, what kind of pizza? I don't even know. It's got Is there cheese. pineapple on that pizza. No. <laughs> it's good pizza. It's from Cheeseboard, and most of the time, I I don't even know what they put on their pizza. I, I just know it's good. Cheeseboard in in Berkeley. Yep. Uh, I have to check that out. So. Probably so, yeah. the best best pizza in town. Uh, shout out to the what the pizza place that I went to in Berkeley. What was it? I forget the name of it. Red Tomato. Yeah, Red Tomato. Uh, super guy, super nice out there too. I'm sure the guy at Cheeseboard's nice too. But uh, check check both those places out. They they have really good pizza. Uh, but yeah, uh, this is episode 21. Um, uh, Cameron, how was your week? This week, it was or... up and down. Um, I um, worked for the first time in a while. Did some uh, delivery for some uh, cater company, catering company. It was pretty easy stuff. Um, distance. I didn't really have to like talk to anybody. Really, just uh, show up, take the food out, and leave. You know, mm-hmm. it was nice. Yeah. Well, that's good that you're working and yep. you're kind of distant. You're you're still working, but you're also maintaining a uh, healthy habits and like social distancing and yeah. I just didn't like like we had to wear latex gloves the whole time, and I was wearing them for I had a I had them probably on for like a few hours, you know. Like I switched between gloves, but I, I don't know. I kind of think like my hand's been red like ever since. Maybe See? I have a reaction to latex. Or yeah. like the sweat that build up and just See, stayed in the glove while I was wearing them. Maybe it just did something to my hand. I heard a rumor out there. I'm not sure if it's actually true, but it makes it seem like it's true. Is that when you're wearing these gloves, like that's why they always recommend like when you're wearing gloves, you should just wash your hands before and after you have them on. Mm. Like like every, sing- every single time you touch something, you got to take them off, wash your hands and stuff like right. that. And just rinse, repeat. Just because the longer you have them on, like the heat from inside, like the latex gloves, it's like building up and like bacteria reacts to heat, obviously. Mm. So they were saying that like, especially like what's going on in the world right now, that they recommend people wearing gloves, but not to like have them on all day. Yeah. So I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. But but yeah. Um. I I kind of had a relaxing week this week though. I well, besides starting a new job, I'm working for this car share company. Um, I think they have it in Berkeley. Gig car share. Sorry, what did you say? Uh, I I I started working for a car share company. Uh, they have it out in Berkeley. I think it's called Gig Car Share. Okay. Yeah, but I started working for them. It was the first week and nice. It's pretty cool. Uh, really chill. I'm just shuttling cars like all day, uh, all day long, and just kind of keeping to myself, listening to my uh, podcast, like other podcasts, not this one. But mm, right, right. 
I've been trying to watch but, more live shows online. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what kind to... of live shows? Um, like, like blues rock sort of influence stuff. Like I always watch Chili Pepper stuff, but um, there was one. I just literally went on YouTube and typed up guitar duel, right? And mm-hmm. um, of course, it showed the guitar duel uh from the movie Crossroads, which I've seen you know a dozen times. But it it also showed a live performance of Joe Bonamassa or Bonamasse, I think how you say his name, and Eric Gales. And I knew who Eric Gales was before, but I hadn't really like listened to him much. And and wow, he's great. I really like I really like how he plays. He right. he he play he can play slow. He could play with more feel. He plays like Hendrix, but he can also play really fast and he can move around different modes and different scales like Eddie Van Halen or some, or Joe Petriani or something. And it's just really cool how he can move in between those styles. But that's really cool. Where, yeah. where are you watching that? Or, like, just, just YouTube. YouTube? Just yeah. YouTube, yeah. Just look up yeah. Eric Gales or Guitar Duels and whatnot. And um, I really love it when two guitar players are playing together over a blues track and they're like talking to each other, you know, with their, with their guitar playing, you know, like one guy plays like for a bar, he plays a certain phrase and the other guy plays like a similar phrase, but like a little bit different, you know? So they're like Mm -hmm. going back and forth, you know? Um, I think think, what, I I think that's what I like about Carlos Santana so much is just because there's, there's this one song. It's not really his best song, but it's the one with Steven Tyler and, and Carlos Santana. It's called just feel better. And just the way Santana is playing, like, like during the choruses of that song, it's like Santana and 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 Steven Tyler are just going back and forth because San- Steven Tyler is such a like a like raspy, he's a great vocalist, yeah, yeah, great vocalist and just a raspy voice, and it just matches perfectly with like oh, yeah. the guitar. And the music video is horrible, so don't <laughs> watch the music video. It's it's just very. I'll watch creepy. it anyways. It's it's just a very creepy music video. Steven Tyler's like, I think he's like sixty or something like that in that video, and he's like making out with like this eighteen year old. And I'm like, Ooh. okay, I'm like, what, whatever floats your boat. But I really like Santana. Just he's probably one of my favorite guitarists. Like I like the first one that I listened to, and then like I just continued listening to him like throughout my thirty years of life. Uh, hmm. It's so he's so I, I just love I love his sound and I just love his like men, like mentality when he's out there on stage, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and just I love that he was he was kind of the first artist I listened to that he was collaborating with pretty much everyone. Yeah. And yeah I mean, just, he pretty much collaborates on all of his records because he's yeah. like a guitar player only. Mm-hmm. But it's crazy yeah. how he can make records and he's the artist, you know, he's the name on the record, but like on every song it's featuring somebody Mm -hmm. because he's just the guitar player, but he's not just the guitar player. He's, you know? Yeah. It's well, it's most of the time when you have like collaborations like that, they're kind of, you, they're collaborations you would expect. Mm -hmm. That's what, that's what I meant by that. But okay. like, Like, for example, like Maria, Maria, like the, the I forget the those um two uh, R and B artists, but he collaborated with them and stuff like that. And he's done Will I Am and just kinda it's just all across the board. So uh but yeah, Carlos Santana, super super good. <laughs> um but um 
Ryan couldn't join us today, uh, sadly, because he, sad face. Because so, uh, uh, he well, he's got a he's got a he's be with his family. real family, happy face, his real family, <laughs> his real family, <laughs> not his podcast family. But uh, I would just like to shout him out and just say, like, the artwork that he made for this podcast just looks freaking amazing. Uh, it does look pretty good. It does look like that's us. You know, yeah. When I looked at you, I'm like, that's Marley for sure. You know, <laughs> besides my purple hair, that's me. I don't know. It's it's stylistic. So he he can redo it if you want, if he wants, but if you don't like the purple hair, but I'm still I'm still digesting it, maybe. Really? Yeah. Because I don't really have purple hair, but but you sometimes should, sometimes I purple. feel like I do. <laughs> you should dye a purple just for just for the show. No, you don't have to do it. <laughs> Maybe we'll do a video podcast. Yeah, or a live podcast. Yeah, yeah. Well, when we can do live shows again. That's that's something I kind of want to do, like one of these days. Because I'm not sure if you've listened to Harmontown, Mm-mm. the Dan Harmon podcast. But like that's produced in front of a live show. And, well, it used to be. And uh, I don't know. I just kind of like the vibe of just like someone doing a podcast and people chime in here and there and just mm-hmm. kind of like heckle and stuff like that. I, I, was, don't know. I was thinking just like, like a studio, like actually getting together and face to face. Like, yeah, that would be, that would be ideal too. So, but hopefully we wouldn't, we'll have to do Zencaster for like the, mm-hmm. for, for forever. But, but yeah, but thanks again to Ryan for, thank you, Ryan, like for making that. Uh, I think it looks awesome and come back. When we when we when we talk about Dark Knight, so yeah. But uh, this week we're talking about this prestige. The prestige. Uh, I don't think I mentioned this on the last episode, but I like this is like I've seen this multiple times, and it just gets better and better every single time I see it. And I think it's, I yeah, right. like I I know I've said this for, for pretty much every single movie but i think this is my favorite christopher nolan film because uh, what do you think cameron yeah uh it's it's hard to dis- disagree with that after watching it you know like i think this is my second maybe third time watching it you mm-hmm. know like we know what happens you know but even so you're still you're looking for something different when you watch it another mm-hmm. time and you understand it a little bit more you catch things like I didn't, I didn't catch how, um, or I didn't really understand, you know, when, um, he, uh, Borden's character and, um, Sarah or in their house and they're managing his, uh, his hand that, um, mm-hmm. had his pinky and his ring finger cut off. And she was like, I don't understand how it's bleeding again. Like how it was on the first day. It's like, Oh, you know, like, boom. You know that makes sense to me now. Right. I didn't really get that on the first watch, or maybe even the second one. But uh, well, I think with this film and the other films that we've discussed too, is that we're 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 our, we've already kind of um, discovered that Christopher Christopher Nolan is just a master of like jumping narrative, and mm-hmm. I feel like this film, like more than pretty much any of the other films it's like it's like a perfect example of that just because i love because the movie is about magicians and like i love the way christopher nolan like edits and directs this film by 
revealing just a little bit to the audience and just kind of uh, like he plays like the whole um what's the what do you do you remember what a um um forget that guy's name alfred from batman um cutter yeah yeah cutter uh when when cutter's like uh it towards the beginning of the movie he's like describing like a a, like a trick right the the steps to any good magic trick there's the pledge the turn and the prestige yeah so the way christopher nolan like structured this film he structured that just like a magic trick yeah just like a magic trick like he's just he's revealing just enough but also just hiding just a little bit uh hiding this i can't imagine like any other director directing this film Mm -mm. because this is like christopher nolan like 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 in a nutshell like do do, do, would you agree a hundred percent 100 percent. you definitely see elements of this film mm-hmm. in its previous films and its future films but i think it's much more um i don't even know how to say it prominent maybe in this one but not so much it just feels um i, lo- I just love it it's just like it, it, it it's it's like the movie itself is like a big metaphor for um uh, making filmmaking, filmmaking yeah. cinema and yeah. it's like it's like meta cinema mm-hmm. you know or it's like walking on the thin line of it and yeah it's like it just like blows my mind kind of but it's i particularly love the uh the character drama in it yeah i think could c- the character drama is fascinating just because i can pull so many parts of this to my personal life as well just because everyone like has like that rivalry like Mm -hmm. whether it's in like a career whether it's at school or just like like we were talking about before the podcast about sports teams and like their rivalries is like everyone like like wants to know like what makes this person so good like how like how did someone do that like how is someone better than me uh like like I, i want to like pick their brain and like learn so I can be just as good as them. And I feel like Christopher Nolan kind of the way he has like, um, um, but is there a consequence to that in your life as, as there is in, um, Angie or or Jackman's character in his life? Well, there's, I, I feel like there's always a consequence just because there's the way like these characters are like portrayed is that they're, um these characters are portrayed in a way where they're kind of they're like they're enemies and i feel like a, like a, like a rivalry that like a professional live rivalry like they're in that like you should always be like there should always be a friendship like there and pulling and pulling like ideas from other people and just and just uh always always asking questions and always learning like these guys are trying to take each other down and just because they just didn't like each other um so like in my personal life i get like like more of like a friendship rivalry like do you see what i'm saying yeah yeah um but i don't i think what christopher nolan did here was just absolutely like it's just like it's it's so masterful and just like i don't think i've seen like a better film where hugh jackman like like was just he just just disappeared in this role like like he was very good like he was like I he think was, he definitely has the best performance in this movie. 
Yeah, and that's not taking away from Christian Bale's performance at or all. Or anyone else. Or yeah. Michael Caine. Or mm-hmm. um, David Bowie. Did you know that Wait. was David Bowie? I totally forgot about that. And I looked at the credits and I was like, that's <laughs> You're like, whoa. Great. I was like, what? <laughs> he David really, Bowie? or Andy Serkis. That yeah. was cool too, but you know, they're kind of more side characters to push yeah, but he, still, Jackman. But David still, Bowie. <laughs> I love seeing, I love like rewatching it. I'm like, that's Andy Serkis. Mm-hmm. And then I, it was me too. I didn't realize it was David Bowie until the end of the film. I was like, yeah. oh, whoa. You know, um, to go back though on the, uh, the rivalry between um, uh, Borden and Angier, or Angier was his um, stage name, his Elias. His real name was Lord Caldwell, Caldlow, which he eventually goes back to at the end of the film. Um, I see, I saw someone, heard someone explain it as if, um, and it really spoke to me this way, how it is a battle between the working british magician you know the the man working um basically coming from nothing you know wanting to work in, in a in a performance uh stage atmosphere and to make money uh, for his family and to build himself up to make a house you know and whatnot and to live that dream right and his rival is the wealthy american who his basically stealing his work um and making it better making the performance you know dressed up and ba- and and that's who the audience wants to see because he has m- more resources to make the act bigger and better you know what i mean and that directly um correlate or not correlates it it parallels with nikola tesla's rivalry with thomas edison and i love i love how that was a factor in the film yeah, it's what? definitely what I got from it too. I, you think you hit it right on right on the head, Cameron. Just that, like, I what I got from this is like it's like one percent versus ninety nine percent, and like kind of doing a callback to earlier episodes of the show. Like, um, it, I, um, on episode twenty, I interviewed Ari Costa. He was like a big time producer for, or or just a producer for the Avengers, and we kind of talked about the difference between independent and and like an MCU like Marvel film is that like independent like obviously I'm sure you already know this Cameron but like it's like the independent like community is like they're they're here to like like get their name out there and just like support their family but like then you have like the big Disney machine that just comes in and just like tries to make it better and better and just like Mm-hmm. Like that, like it's a well-oiled machine. Like they've done this before, right? And like that, you could see like like um um uh, Hugh Jackman's character as like the Disney machine, and then yeah. Christian Bale as like the independent film artist that is just trying to like make ends meet, and, and like he he loves the craft and just like exactly that mm-hmm. that's that's where I wanted to go too. Alternatively, was. Uh, at the beginning of the film, you clearly see that um, Borden, his intention or his motivations rather are to impress his peers. He wants to innovate magic in the show, right? Mm-hmm. To to uh, be better and to do more impressive acts. It doesn't matter about the showmanship. It's the act and it's the tricks that matter. 
And at the end of the film, you see that um, Robert, Hugh Jackman's character, does it for the audience, for the wonder. He loves being the showman. He loves seeing their faces when he pulls off the trick. Mm-hmm. And and I, I love that parallel between them because they're very similar. They they both have a a driving uh, ambition and they become obsessed with their craft, but mm-hmm. they both have very different intentions. And I, I think their character development sort of shifts. Like one starts at one direction and the other one starts at the other and they eventually switch spots by the end of the film. Mm-hmm. I thought like, I thought it was really good development of Hugh Jackman's character is like when he steals, um, when he steals his trick about the the whole uh, disappearing man, transported and, man, uh, transported man, and he, uh, like he's obviously using a double, and his double is the one that's getting like all the fame, and he's the one like underneath the stage, mm-hmm. like li- listening to everything that's going on, and I just love the the like Hugh Jackman's like reaction. In like that moment right. of just him, just like it, like in sort of like a self pity, where it's just like he couldn't he couldn't handle someone else taking all the glory, mm-hmm. and he even said like, "Oh, can we just switch it up?" And right. Cutter was basically just saying like, C- "Cutter was like, no, we can't do that because he's a drunk." And yeah, like, once he starts yeah, talking, and, it'll it'll ruin the act. Yeah, we should also and, use that to to mention how great of a performance Hugh Jackman did to play that character to, yeah, play, exactly. to play the drunk. You know, I was like, oh my god, this is so good, right? And like, I I think like um, Michael Caine's like character is a little bit like not a lot of people talk about his like character character development and just who like what the kind of character he actually plays because he's like. We, we we say that like Christian Bale is like the guy that loves the craft and and Hugh Jackman is the one that likes the show. But when when you actually boil it all down to it, Michael Caine's character Cutter is the one that actually loves the craft. He's the one that's building like all these all these all these tricks and like he knows like how how everything works. Like right. he was the one that actually told Hugh Jackman that to uh like when he was the one that's saying like, Oh, um, Christian Bale is like, like he, uh, he's like the whole, um, um, that, that trick up of the teleporting man or whatever, like he was doing something special and he was like, no, he's just using a double. It's just like, I, I, he I don't was know. Sort of wrong, but he was right. Yeah. He was, you know, he, he didn't know, he didn't know how, how he was right, but he was, he was right. And yeah, Hugh Jackman's character was so obsessed and ultimately he was fooled by it too, but he was looking over it. He was overlooking mm-hmm. the trick and it ultimately forced him, forced his hand to go to, to go to science, to go to Nikola Tesla and basically buy the trick, basically buy his way mm-hmm. out of it or yeah. into it. Mm-hmm. And what do like major corporations do? Like when they want to create art, they buy, they 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 buy like whatever, whatever that will uh, make them the most money and whatever will get them success, as compared to the guy the guys like us, but they're just like we're just uh, trying to make it buy and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, man's reach exceeds his imagination. Yes, as uh, the great Danton said after the act. You know, calling back to Nikola Tesla saying, 
um, man's reach exceeds his grasp, but really man's reach exceeds his nerve, you know, and, and what, what kind of a nerve Hugh Jackman's character had to sacrifice all of that and to, uh, I love how he, he says throughout the film, no one cares about the man in the box, you know? Now was definitely directly referring to him not wanting to be the guy below the stage too, but also I just like makes me, I don't know what there is to say about that. I know there is, but it just, it makes me think about uh, all those hundred clones he made and drowned them, put them through agony, you know, put them through the worst sort of pain you see in the film. Really? You know, mm-hmm. as Michael Caine's characters, he describes it. Uh, ultimately, at the end of the film, it was the most agony, you know, that sailor ever felt when he almost drowned. Just imagine, you know, going through that 100 or putting someone through that, a different one of you, 100 times just to be the man on top of the stage. But, you know, no one cares. No one cares about the guy in the box. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's I like feel no like... one cares about the secret. Also, how Christian Bale's character was saying that, when you perform the trick, you know, you'll always hide the secret. You know, everyone is always going to want that secret out of you. But once you give it, no one gives a rat's ass who you mm-hmm. are. And there, there are great parallels in the movie. And, and, and it's like they're telling you what happens in the movie before it happens. And through through simple dialogue and, and foreshadowing, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I particularly love the kid who cries about the bird you know he he immediately sees through the trick and he knows the bird died and, and um borden was trying to show him how the bird's fine and he's like what about his brother and and he sort of loses his smile and mm-hmm. and uh, i just like that's definitely foreshadowing borden's um alternate side fallon you know or i like to say because his name was alfred right I like to call the alternate Borden Freddie, which was uh, the name Olivia had given him because Olivia fell in love with uh, one of them and Sarah fell in love with the other one. You Mm -hmm. know, one half uh, Alfred was the more sympathetic one, the more the family man, the nicer one. You could tell when he's out, when he's playing Borden's character and the other one, Freddie, the one who fell in love with Olivia, was the, the one with a temper, the one that liked to drink, you know, and the one that was, um, one that died ultimately in the end too. Mm-hmm. It's great, it's the, great yeah, film, you know. Just hand, so you, you got to give your, you got to tip the hat or take the hat off for Christopher Nolan, you know. I mean. This, this when you when you think of Christopher Nolan, you don't really think of this film anymore and i hesitate to say it's underrated because it's not you know it was nominated for awards it may it exceeded its budget by you know two almost three times its budget and Mm -hmm. it's definitely not underrated but when you look at the rest of nolan's filmography i mean you definitely don't think of this film first when you think of nolan people obviously just go they gravitate to the dark knight trilogy or interstellar or even Dunkirk before they even think about this film. But like mm-hmm. just rewatching it, I was just like, I like this. 
I I find myself like watching most Nolan films, the, the pacing somewhere like it, it starts dragging, like in in some some parts of his films. This film, I was like on the edge of my seat, just like the entire time, and I was like, I I like even though I've seen this film before, I was just like, I like I wanted to know what's hap- what happened with these characters like next and stuff like that, as compared to like like. Y- y- you would probably like argue with me a little bit here is like compared to like interstellar. Like I didn't really care about like the ending like there, we'll have to rewatch interstellar once we get to it. But like, this is the first, this is the first film that like, I feel like I fell in love with Christopher Nolan just because it, it like, it's so well crafted. I don't really, I, I can't like watching this like multiple, multiple times before we did this podcast was like, I tried to find like a flaw in it. I I couldn't find one. Like, could you find anything wrong with it? Like, <laughs> um, you know, while I was watching the film, I know there was a couple like like haha, like that's kind of kind of cheesy, maybe, or or like it it was weird to me how Hugh Jackman's character just knew Olivia was sleeping with Borden, mm-hmm. you know, um, or it was weird how. It, it, how some of that dialogue seemed fast tracked, mm-hmm. but the as the film went on, it sort of um made a little bit more sense to me how these guys were basically in each other's heads, mm-hmm. you know, with the notebooks too. They both played the same trick, basically. That that a little bit caught me like I it wasn't as um like it wasn't like a ooh mo- shocking moment to me when Borden was reading um Angier's notebook and at the end it's like yes Borden you in your prison cell awaiting your death for my murder I wasn't as odd when I when I came across that scene mm-hmm. and I'm not too sure how that um affected the film um until the end of the film it took me a little bit you know but uh i wouldn't consider that a flaw you know so yeah i wouldn't consider it a flaw either like this i feel like this film is just brilliantly paced and just like all everything if if i were to say it's kind of it's kind of a trend that i've been going with like each of these movies that we've been discussing is that i feel like olivia is just a little bit underdeveloped and that's kind of like a tr- like a trend and like well, most no one films. With- yeah. We, we've talked about that before, you know? Yeah. She, uh, she really has no development. Yeah. Uh, she, she, her purpose is really just to, to push her. Push, I think, I think she, counterparts. yeah, I think she's, uh, is a character service for more for Borden than she is mm-hmm. for Angier. Mm-hmm. Uh, although she, she, she does, um, get something out of Angier when when she gives him the notebook and you you see him develop going from um you know wanting wanting vengeance from his wife's death to after he sees the trick he completely disregards his wife's death and it ultimately becomes a rivalry of of being the better showman and just he just wants the trick to be better because when 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 she says uh, this is not going to bring your wife back he says i don't care about my wife clearly clearly you understand the character after that moment um his motives a little bit more and she's just kind of there to get that out of him you know 
but that was another thing too. I kind of forgot Scarlett Johansson was in this film. Yeah. Uh, I, there's, there's so many little like, like character, like people disappear in their characters in this film. Like, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's like the main goal, like with actors is that, you don't you don't want to say like oh Christian Bale was good in this film. You want to say like oh I really like Bowden in this in this movie. It's like mm-hmm. like you you want the actor wants to like dis- to disappear in these characters. They don't want to know that they're that they're on screen and stuff like that May- until the end. Obviously, like when we found out that David Bowie was in right. this film, but <laughs> like that that's the one character I'm like wow he's really into it because that that's almost like uh, like he looks a lot like Tesla. And I, I would like to imagine he acts like him too. Yeah. It's uh-huh. kind of crazy. And um, you were saying before how you weren't really impressed by the ending of Interstellar. And mm-hmm. were you uh, suggesting the same thing about this film? I, no, I actually, I actually appreciated the ending. And like when I say I was under... Like I haven't seen Interstellar since like I seen right. seen it on the big screen, so I, I would have to, like, hopefully, like when I, we get to that film, we'll have to, uh, uh, like, I'll change my mind and like I'll. Well, it's uh, kind of it's kind of funny because um, I was just talking to my roommate about this, mm-hmm. movie, and he was saying that his his only problem he had with the film was the ending of the Prestige mm-hmm. and how the the big twist or the reveal wasn't um it didn't impress him and it kind of made me it kind of made me sparked an idea and and i kind of kind of agreed with him on the sense that it's not revealing of the secrets that impresses you because like borden character says at the beginning of the film to the kid you know the you know once the secret is revealed the it's not like the trick is ruined, but it takes the it takes the life out of it a little bit, maybe. Mm-hmm. And it takes the magic out of it. Exactly. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and and I'm not sure. I'm not sure that maybe that's what Nolan was referencing to or trying to uh, accomplish. But but I got I got a little bit at the ending when when everything was revealing itself. It wasn't as dramatic it wasn't as like it was just revealing things to you mm-hmm. you you know what i mean and i think the meat and bones of the film is in the, in the middle of the act and the turn while everything is being like like you know when um when you put your hand down on the cage and you lift up the handkerchief and the cage is gone you're like mm-hmm. you know you're, you're 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 waiting in anticipation of of the reveal Mm-hmm. you know and when the reveal happens you know on the normal tricks everyone's clapping and that's that's the you know the punchline or whatever but at the prestige of the film it sort of gives me a different reaction than i would i kind of expected myself to react you know one because i know what happens but two because i don't i don't think it's the revealing of the plot or the revealing of the actions that makes me interested. It's rather that what happens in the reveal sort of caps off the characters. It sort of capped off, capped off their motives and who they are and their identities rather than, you know, the tricks of the film. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, like, I know, I know exactly what you mean just because I see it as like, like since, since you're using this uh, lingo of like the prestige of the film is like, 
like a magician never really reveals his secrets. Like he will reveal like at the end, like that the cage is back there. Like he makes the cage disappear and then reveals that like, like it magically reappears again, Mm -hmm. but he will never reveal how it actually got there. Mm. Like how, like, like what he, what he did to actually get the cage to come back. So I feel like with the way this film is ending, like no one is like kind of revealing a little bit too much. And that's kind of, that's like the dangerous, that he's walking that dangerous tightrope of like a magician revealing his secrets. Right. And that's why they should never do it. Mm-hmm. Is that what, is that what you're kind of saying? Uh, perhaps. I think that maybe, um, maybe that's the effect that my roommate was given, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't yeah. as, uh, effective towards him uh and i see i see where he's coming from and i think um for me the end of the film when everything is being revealed it, it it's not as amazing to the rest of the film or doesn't add effect to the rest of the film but rather what it does to me is it is it really ties a knot on the character's development you know it it secures in my mind what borden wanted and what Angier wanted, how Angier was saying, he did it for the look of the faces on the audience members, the wonder, you know, mm-hmm. that caps it off. And for Borden, it was for his family. Ultimately, at the end, you know, um, one half of him was, and, and I believe the other half, the Freddie half, was the, uh, the one that was trying to captivate the art and, and to innovate, and he ultimately died. You know, and and he and he even like abracadabra before he gets hung, before he disappears. <laughs> yeah. So, this... and, and you know, in each each of the characters' obsession for the art, um, and there's a, there's a lot to say about art, and not just magic, and and cinema too. You know what what you do to sacrifice and how it affects other people, and how how it not just changes you, but you know, like. I, I think I relate more with Borden's character when it comes to him not, you know, keeping the secrets from his wife, keeping the secrets from everybody. You know, you you would you'd imagine he tells his wife everything, but but he even has to he has to live this lie, like how they were when they were at the beginning of the film looking at the um, Chen Lin Soon or or I forget his name. Um, they were looking at the uh, the Asian uh, magician and mm-hmm. how Borden was saying he's this is all an act. Everywhere he goes, he he pretends like he's this old cripple just to pull off the trick, and you know, and that's exactly what he's doing with with his character. And you know, it's it's kind of like you can't explain yourself to people who don't understand your art. You know what I mean? It's not, it, it wouldn't be worth it because everyone would probably think he's crazy. Right. For, for, mm-hmm. for living, for living his act, not just, you know, performing it for living it. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's, there's something to say about that sort of obsession. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely agree with that just because I'm not, sh- yeah, like, I think, like, as artists, we always, like, try and hide, like, uh, like our art from, like, the people that, like, we, we know that people would be interested in it, but also the ones that 
like aren't gonna critique us like the way we want us right. to be critiqued. You and, also don't want to have to explain your art to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like a perfect, a good example of that is like this is from another film, but like um, it, it it was kind of I think did you see this film? It's like, it was yesterday. No, I, I never did. It's there's a there's a there's a scene from that that film where he is playing um, "Let It Be" uh, by the Beatles, and like he's playing it for his family, and they keep interrupting him, and I'm like like watching that. Like I know this is this isn't the prestige, but it's just uh, just talking about like just uh, our showing our art to just a group a certain group of people is that like when he was playing Let It Be and they just like his family just kept interrupting him and they they just didn't they just didn't get it and they're like oh who is this and they're like and he was just getting uh, like really angry like I've had like moments like that like yeah. in members of my family. Where I'm just like, just listen, just listen, just watch right. like what I created, and no, that, that that definitely hits me, yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's like, yesterday is like not a perfect film, but I definitely like hit me like it it, it uh, hit me straight at home, especially, hmm. and I can totally see how you can like how you can feel like um. Um, relate relation to was it uh, Angier that said that, or was it Bowden that Borden. said it was a uh, yeah Borden that was that said it was all an act and stuff like that, right? And um, it was it was means to get away from everything, mm-hmm. get away, and yeah. he like he like puts his fist on the on the on the cement wall or the mm-hmm. brick wall, and he's like he just kind of gets away from, and also on the wall was like a bunch of newspapers, a bunch of advertisements. And, and this era of time was sort of the eclipse of um, over-advertising, you know, and it was probably um, saturating him or, or something and just living the act constantly was probably helping him get away from all the, the manic stuff. But yeah, like you were saying, um, yeah, I uh, like. I this can't, film I can't. is like a near. It's like a perfect film. It's like it's I, great. It's so it's so good. There, like if anyone hasn't like talking to the audience a little bit right now, if anyone hasn't seen this film, just go see it. Like it's so it's so good. It's like it's I, I don't know. I was just enthralled like every single like moment I was watching this, and it's just like it's. And you yeah, know I, it's kind of complicated, but it it's kind of not because the film helps you through it. But just I feel, like a I feel but... a little flattered by Christopher Nolan because it's like he he he's he thinks we're intelligent enough to understand this stuff. <laughs> and yeah, we, yeah, we are, exactly. <laughs> and we are. But it's like it, it, it sometimes the film feels really complicated. But at the yeah. end of the film, it's like. Not so much. It isn't because like like the reveal, you know, like how my like how my roommate thinks about it. He's kinda like it's predictable or it's 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 not as crazy or complicated, but you know, like it kinda I'm kinda flattered because like, well well shoot, howdy, you know, it's not um it's not so hard to understand at the end of the film, I guess. But alternatively yeah. it's not it it's not the reveal of, of the acts and whatnot that makes you wonder. You know, it's the, uh, to me, like I said before, it's the identities of the character mm-hmm. and the motives that they have. 
and like Christopher Nolan is definitely like like as much as like these characters and actors are just like they disappear and they're like they're they're so good in their performances. Like I said before, like it Christopher Nolan is the star of the show. Like he's the magician. Mm-hmm. He he is the one calling like like obviously calling all the shots because he's the director, but like he he's the one revealing Borden so much in Angier at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, he respects the craft ultimately and is there to um impress his peers and to innovate cinema. And at the same time, he's an incredible showman. He yeah. knows how to set it up just like Angier does, you know what I mean? And and he he gets the audience he gets their faces looking in awe and, and it makes us wonder, you know, and it, and it feels like magic, mm-hmm. you know, pun, and, in, pun intended 100%. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice, nice one. I think I, I, like now that like, since we've been talking about this for like almost 45 minutes now, like when I first saw this film, I remember after seeing it, like this is kind of like after seeing this movie, like the first time, like when this movie came out, like in 2006, I remember that I wasn't going to watch a trailer because I loved the feeling of what this movie like represented and like presented of just a sense of wonder and just always being surprised and just uh, only revealing the right amount of information. So and like I, what I get from like trailers now and I, I like, I would love to see like a trailer for this, for this film of because i don't think you could really show anything like like a like whoever's editing a trailer for the prestige must have had like one hell of a job just because you couldn't like you really couldn't show anything except for like the title just because like nolan does such well a- from someone told me the other day that um there's a third party company that makes the trailers and they don't mm-hmm. know anything about the film yeah. So the studio will give that company only so much, uh, sh- so many shots or so many scenes of the film to gather, mm-hmm. and and if if they knew the film or if they had known the story or the plot of the film, I can I can agree with you. How can it would how it would be hard not to reveal? But given that uh, they're only given so so much uh footage i'm sure it's i'm sure it's a little easier for them just to crop stuff together and make it look dramatic right and not not hating on trailer editors because they have a really good job and just like i'm sure they love their job too but like that that's why like i said like i just don't watch trailers anymore it's because like i want to hold that feeling that i felt like when watching the prestige because we've been spoiled before too with trailers exactly and just (laughs) the dceu (laughs) (laughs) what was that huh Huh? i I I was just coughing okay all right hopefully that's not covid so uh but i don't know i just love that feeling that that the prestige like gave me like the first time i saw it and i want to like always hold on to that and just like go in unsullied and just i don't know i hear what you're saying yeah yeah it's uh yeah so can we just talk about this film next next episode too <laughs> instead of <laughs> right let's watch it again let's rewatch right. it and we'll come with another another thing to bring exactly you know maybe maybe with a different different um philosophy or a different theme 
Well, that's like that. Well, that's. I feel like what's good about this film is that, like, every single time you watch it, you like you you said this at the beginning is that every time you watch it, you find something new, mm-hmm. and that's like 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 you kind of get that with all of Nolan's films. But I feel like this one is like, um, like is it's more special in that uh, in that regard. Um, I don't know. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, this film's perfect. Uh, that's why I say I like. If you were to give it a rating, Cameron, what would you rate it? Oh, um, I mean, ten out of ten. You know, a plus, a, a plus. right? Um, Fresh tomato. Maybe maybe a nine and a half out of ten. Yeah. Um, because we are spoiled, and because it's been nearly two decades since the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's That's... it's hard not to give it a perfect rating, in my opinion. Fourteen years, fourteen, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh my god! But but even... it's aged so well, so I I mm-hmm. think even even given those fourteen years, it's 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 hard not to give it anything less than a perfect mm-hmm. rating. Yeah, um, I would give it an A plus. I would like since you since you said nine and a half out of ten, I would I would do that one too, just because. 10 out of 10 is like for that elusive club. But this is, this is like, uh, I, I'm, I kind of did it at a disservice for not watching it until we did this up till this podcast. So I might actually make it like a tradition to watch this movie, like at least once every year. <laughs> like it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. This, this was sort of like, I remember watching it. It was either, like when I was in eighth grade or early high school and my brother picked it out. Mm-hmm. My brother was like, let's watch this film. Right. And definitely did not disappoint. And ever since we watched, I watched that film for the first time. It was, it was always, always sort of uh, a, a spectacle to me, you know, whenever we would um, in the future pass that film, whenever we would wonder what movie we're going to watch, I'm like what about that one uh, magic magician movie, prestige movie, you know, mm-hmm. Like I would, I'd be down to watch that again, right? So, but I, it you know, I never knew it was Christopher Nolan. You know, shoot, we know we only, I only ever knew Hugh Jackman at the time. I hardly even knew who Christian Bale was, right? Uh, let uh, alone David Bowie, Michael Caine, Scarlett Johansson, Andy Serkis. The list goes on. Right. I just like so this movie. Just to be a little bit funny, like here, it'd be, it'd be funny if like because this movie came right after Batman begins. Like I would want to see like a little kid, like saying, I want to see the new Batman, that Batman movie. And the mom is like, gets of the prestige, but then the kid actually loves it. (laughs) I don't know. I, I could kind of see that scenario coming out because yeah, but I don't know. (laughs) Uh, But yeah. Uh, But speaking of Batman, the dark Knight, that's the next movie we're going to discuss. Um, I think uh, we. I think the listeners will probably already know how we feel about this, but it'll be fun to just re- oh, yeah. to to go over it again, rehash yeah. it. Yeah, I've seen this. I think yeah. this is the first film that I have seen of Christopher Nolan that I've seen. I've seen it about eleven times. I've seen it. I've seen it pl- pl- plenty of times. Like eleven times in theaters. I remember like, this this one. Oh, in theaters! Holy crap, mm-hmm. Marley! Yeah. <laughs> All right, you beat me there. I think well, the I've most... seen it three what? times on IMAX, and then wow. uh, I, 
yeah, IMAX, this was the first, like, it, it this is one that, I don't know, that opening scene was just right. shock, it's like, so absolutely good. shocking. It's for, so good. It, yeah. it, it grabs you instantly and it keeps you in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, what were you going to say? You've seen it how many times? <laughs> I mean, countless times. I remember when it came out, I was in the eighth grade. Mm-hmm. I had a friend who was obsessed with it. And in my elementary school, my I had a really cool eighth grade teacher. We only had maybe about 13 kids in our class. So he did a lot of cool things for us. We had we would have Cowboy Day maybe once every other month, you know, if it was like if we behaved good. Right. We watched we watched old Western movies, cowboy movies. And when Batman, when Dark Knight came out, one of my friends was like, can we can we hold aside the cowboy theme and just watch Dark Knight? It took him. A, it took us a few days to convince our teacher, but we ended up watching Dark Knight. Nice. <laughs> that, that teacher needs to be right. Like, yeah. um, th- this that was always like my summer movie. You know, when whenever I was home alone or home with my brother, and we didn't, we had nothing to do, and we were flipping through the movie books to see what to watch, and and we flipped through Dark Knight. We're like, oh, I guess we're throwing up Dark Knight. You know, it's just yeah. a, it's such an easy movie to watch and it's such a great one to, to live through. Yeah. And especially now, since Dark Knight is like on cable too. like if I'm just channel surfing through like and you and see find, Dark Knight, like, like mm, that, that's yeah. it. I guess yeah. that's what we're watching. <laughs> exactly. It's it's so easy to just like put on and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. and uh, rest in peace, the Heath Ledger, like when yeah. like. I know this isn't episode 22 yet, but, but like, what was your reaction? Like when, when you found out that he like passed? Like, um, I think I, um, I was baited towards the idea that he was living in the Joker character and then it drew him, it drove himself crazy, you know, mm-hmm. and he started doing drugs because of it. When the reality is that that's not true that he already had an ongoing uh, addiction mm-hmm. and it was a mental health issue. It wasn't because the character drove him nuts, you know? Yeah. But uh, it's cringy for me to look back on myself and to, to think that I actually believed that. Yeah. Well, you like the, you like the character and the character was just like, it was, it was done really well mm-hmm. by Heath Ledger and you just kind of drew to, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't like blame yourself for thinking that way, but because the way society would kind of like the way society kind of like made you kind of made you kind of think that way, saying that Heath Ledger was such a good actor that it's a selling narrative, break it. It's a selling headline mm -hmm. to say something like that. I remember exactly where I was. I remember I was like, I was in high school. I was in high school at the time and I was a senior in high school actually. And I was in computer class and I remember I would, I, I was anticipated. I was anticipating like the dark Knight because I love Batman begins so much. And I would just sit there watching the dark Knight trailer, like <laughs> over and over, like the first one over and over. <laughs> right. And then I, I went, I, this is going to date me really, really, really bad. I went on Yahoo news and I seen, I seen Heath Ledger past past like, you saw like, the headline, uh, yeah. Yeah, I saw the headline, and I was just like, "No way!" Like, this has got to be a hoax. So, and then I just, and then I, when I did my research on it, I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, I can't imagine. Well, I, I can't imagine. You know, um, it wasn't as surreal for me as it probably was for you. 
but I know what it's like to um to be in that situation with different things. Mm-hmm. You know, when um shoot, I can't think top of my head, you know. Um Well it it's crazy to think that like kids growing up these days that makes me sound really old that like they had to experience that at least multiple times this year. Yeah. Like with Chadwick Boseman. Yeah. And then uh, oh, there's yeah. someone else. That, that, that's 100% the most recent one. That was, that was, yeah, that, that was, was something for everybody. That was still crushing for me just because he was so young and just like, when, I uh, had no idea he was sick and stuff like that. But, yeah. When Chris but, Cornell died, that was a little surreal for me. I didn't really mm-hmm. want to believe it at first. Yeah, and then um, when the guy from Star Trek, uh, he was in Green, was it Green Room? Um, the, he played a um, he played that that Russian character on Star Trek, the new Star Trek. Um, I can't I can't think of his name right now, but uh, he, he he was in Green Room, and he was he was a really good actor, and he passed away. So, but I don't know. Patrick Stewart. It, no, he, didn't, uh, he didn't die. Ant- Antoine Yelchin. Oh, Yelchin. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. He was in. Um, I know him from uh, Terminator. Mm-hmm. Terminator yeah, he Salvation. In, he was in Terminator. Yeah. If you haven't seen Green Room, Green Room is mm. so good. Like, ha- have you seen it? Because you said you no. mentioned Patrick Stewart. So. Uh, I'm just look. I just looked it up. I literally just typed in green room on oh, okay. Google, uh, and and Patrick Stewart was like the third one. But yeah, and Anton Yelchin. I didn't. I didn't know his name, but I remember. Um, I remember working in the theater and um, seeing the Star Trek poster up, and um, my boss just mentioned to me, "Oh, that that guy died." Was was, was yep. it Dennis? No, no. It was uh, okay. while I was working here in Berkeley. Oh, okay. All right, so it's like uh, James. You don't know him. Oh yeah, I don't know, but uh, but yeah. Uh, next week we're going to discuss the Dark Knight, though. So mm-hmm. uh, watch it, everyone. Watch it again. And hopefully, this is your Ryan to watch a great film. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then Ryan will hopefully be joining us. So, like, I, well, I'm actually going to make him just join us. I remember when can't. when I told my roommates we were doing this series. They um they told me, yeah, let us know when you watch Dark Knight. Dark Knight Rises, because oh. <laughs> we'll watch really? it with you. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. they're yeah. just great films. Do they, they want to come on the podcast? No, it's good. Um, maybe, maybe not. It'd be a little like overcrowded. A little special guest, <laughs> <laughs> just like this movie is good, like in the background. <laughs> yeah, um, but I don't really have anything else unless you have any words of wisdom. To end words on. of wisdom, you know what? Um, why not? They're there was something that I heard the other day on a stream here. I'll pull it up. Yeah. So, and and it really, it really, um, it really spoke to me. Uh, knowledge is of no value unless you put it into practice. The great, the greater danger for most of us lies not in seeing our aim, not in setting our aim too high and falling short, but in but in setting our aim too low in achieving our mark, little words of wisdom right there. Nice, I feel like that's that. 
That's a good. That's a good quote to start the week. I, I saw someone um po- post that in a streamer's chat, and I had to. I had to screenshot it because like I, I would forget it. Yeah, on Twitch, I was watching Boxy Fresh, who uh, who's the only person I'm subscribed to, and there's this uh, uh viewer. His name is he calls himself Yoda, and he always like has words of wisdom to say. I'm like I really, I really like that one. I had Yoda. to screenshot it. Yep, of course, you know. Is there a baby Yoda of him? Uh, no, I'm sure not. I'm sure there isn't. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, yeah, you never know. He's trying to probably trying to cash in, but but yeah, <laughs> thank you for <laughs> thank you for that, Cameron. Mm-hmm. Um, you can listen to Cameron on SoundCloud. Um, you post stuff like pretty much. Well, yeah, you know, a few times a month. Yeah. Um, it's been a, it's been a couple weeks, I think um i haven't really been working on any, anything much just practicing just trying to mm. flesh out new ideas um yeah um I, I you you'd be sure to check out um i had an interview with uh ari costa i mentioned this earlier in the in the in the podcast uh he has a movie coming out it's called mosul it's on netflix go check it out it's a really interesting war film set in the middle east uh but yeah, um, make sure you support Ari Costa since he supports the show. Um, I've been I've been streaming a little bit with Team Everything. Like I also interviewed in, interviewed them. Like we've been playing Among Us and Cameron. If you want to ch- hop on one of these days, okay. Um, like we've been we've been playing Among Us and that's been really fun. Cool. So uh, other than that, just been busy. Um, make sure follow me on twitter and you can see me be depressed when the kings uh are just horrible again this year when they start playing this december um but other than that i don't really have anything else just stay safe keep your distance Mm -hmm. six feet wear a mask and uh uh, always keep always uh have a smile on (laughs) that was that was super cheesy (laughs) but yeah Uh, I'm Marley Silverman. I'm Cameron Avery. And we'll see you next week. See ya. See ya.